Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I have a very special return guest coming back on the show today for his third time on here we are and right yeah and he did one of my uh, uh one of my stand-up science sh- or did you do two stand-up science shows just one just one just but it was one. so amazing for both of us that it felt like two <laughs> well it was it was an unusual show because the other academic was uh just kind of going through some personal issues (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot of um i felt like we we earned our our therapy um ally uh credit that that night i mean it was fun to hear her talk but it did feel a little sort of strangely personal yeah Um, like this isn't your research this is just your (laughs) marriage problem (laughs) yeah yeah. um but uh one of my favorite guests is back herman poncer everybody herman thanks for coming back on the show uh thanks for having me in uh sit in and participate in your uh wonderful class at duke i don't even remember what was the name of the class again Oh, it has some arcane, it's a, you know, introduction to human evolutionary anthropology or something like that, but it's, it's just uh, intro to human evolution, basically, is the yeah. class. And it's one of my favorite classes to teach. You know, that's, that's the class that got me uh, tracked on this career. You know, kind of, I, I came to college, I went to Penn State, had no idea what I wanted to do, um, but freshman year, just had my mind, like, blown by a good intro to human ev class. And, yeah. Um, Man, you know, so like to be able to, to, to recreate that on the other side of the, of the room as the professor every year. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I think that once you start looking at life through that evolutionary lens, it's just a real paradigm shift. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you have a new book out called Burn. Burn! The, give us the whole, read the whole long extended... Yes, burn. New research blows the lid off how we really burn calories, lose weight, and stay healthy. The reason I have to read the subtitle is I was going to – the subtitle I proposed was um, The the New Science of of Human Metabolism, which I thought was a fair, accurate, pithy subtitle. (laughs) Um, But the publishers uh, wanted to make sure that people knew that they were going to learn about diet and exercise and health (laughs) Um, which i don't blame them i mean you know they're in the business of selling books and now i guess i am too so i I can't point fingers and um it is strange though as an academic uh to sort of move you know i've written some public some popular stuff before and like i like you know you're doing your show obviously that's that's popular science you do hope people buy tickets and come to the show you know so there's their element of it that i've done before but to be fully in the um you know selling your work uh space as an academic, that's an uncomfortable place to be, right? Because that's, you know, you sort of, you're not supposed to sell your work uh, yeah. when you're just doing it for the research. Uh, of course, we all are anyhow. So it's sort of a funny, anyway, that, but 
So that, that's the subtitle. That's the, the story of the subtitle. Did you get on the academic only fans yet? Or are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm thrilled about it. I mean, so it makes sense that a publisher is going to be like, ooh, diet tips for people. Yeah. People love those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm actually kind of thrilled about it because... I mean, I've taken your class. I I know your work. I think it's uh, I think it's incredible. I, and I think having that evolutionary lens on things is a is a game changer. Like I mentioned, this is kind of especially timely. Other than, I mean, I hope it cuts through the weeds out there because we are inundated with yeah. so much diet and and homeopathic yeah. and this and that. <laughs> and it's like yeah. I you know I go into a bookstore and. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, speaking of kind of science communication, you, you don't get into it uh, to make a fortune. <laughs> because no. if, you, if you go into a bookstore, you have the science section, which is like a few little rows of yeah. things. And then you have, uh, well, the children's section, terrific. We want our kids to read, great. <laughs> But then the, there's just right. like this mega, uh, there's, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's half of a church in there for religious stuff. And then there's, and then there's all of the, uh, uh, the different uh, diet and wellness yeah. and homeopathic and, and, uh, and there's just so much pseudoscience out there. There's so much snake oil and, and it's especially bad with, COVID where there's a lot of, um, I think that there's a lot of kind of victim blaming going on. With, oh, cause yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the, uh, it's, first of all, you know, you only get sick with COVID if you're eating the wrong diet. That's right. what you would learn. If you read twi Twitter, that's what you would learn is, you know, it's your diet. And My oh, ACE2 receptors are jacked. So... <laughs> <laughs> If you if you got COVID, shame on you for eating Cheetos. You deserve to die. Yeah. I mean, the the even worse part of that because that's that's almost kind of understandable. That's the age old confront men with a problem that their muscles aren't useful for in any way, and immediately you'll sh see them flexing the hardest they ever have in their entire... <laughs> this is very important, I'm telling you. But the the real, I think, nefarious side of it, and I don't even think it's intentional in a lot of cases, is just every... I, I just stopped selling... Ad this is actually the first podcast. There won't be any um, uh, that I'm done with ads for, uh, for Here We Are because it's just... We're just supplement peddlers. Oh, now. wow. Yeah, yeah, right. And and then there's this motivated reasoning. You right. know, when you want to sell your... Take this and it'll give you... Uh, it, it'll uh, it'll give you a supervisor like take this super boss supplement. It'll make yeah. you strong and dominant. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, my last little bit of this rant is that you know I watch a lot of stuff um, where some of the one nutrition and everything is beyond me anyway. So so even. Like I know you're you you speak in the language that I understand, right? And, but even with that, I mean, it is just it's insanely complicated yeah. and, and yeah. understanding. I was just looking at the 
the graph early on in the book of of uh, there's this nice little flow chart of like fat and sugar. Oh yeah, your your the, the uh, subway map of where your nutrients go. And, yeah, and, but you look at this, it's like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's very intimidating. But people can use that to throw around a bunch of jargon. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it just sounds like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's it, like the homeopath industry is is this multi-billion dollar. I have a bunch of delightful, um, uh, you know, friends in the, uh, I, I'm kind of in the psychedelic community mm -hmm. and, and kind of new agey stuff. And a lot of that too, well-meaning stuff, but, you know, they have their little kind of placebo that works for them and, oh, yeah. and are a little, uh, a little yeah. overly prescriptive. Yeah, and uh, and often once you start then making a living off of that stuff, there's this instead of the in, instead of saying, "Hey, this supplement is a supplemental thing in addition to all of the other good things you should do to take care of yourself, including yeah. wearing masks right now." Uh, you can use this supplement instead. They're like, this supplement's going to save you. It's the magic uh, bullet and nothing else. Yeah. It's like vitamin D is, you know, the, the vitamin C and then vitamin D. And then it's, you know, <laughs> turmeric and it's, uh, it's everything else. When I was, you know, so yeah, as somebody who does metabolic research, metabolism research, uh, has been doing it for, you know, a couple decades now, um, it drives you crazy, man. It drives you absolutely crazy. To spend mm -hmm. your life trying to do this stuff for real, and then to go, like you say, you go to be your Barnes and Nobles or wherever you're going. You're hopefully you're going to an independent bookstore somewhere, uh, and yeah, it's just like the overwhelming uh, number of books in, in self help that have nothing to do with any. You know, how many metabolism books are out there that have nothing? That don't have one study in them that measured calories at all, you know, or anything like that. And so um, I think that was a part of the big reason to try to want to do a book, and and. Uh, I told the publisher, you know, um, who was really supportive, by the way, and they were great. And I said, you know, look, when I was getting ready to do that, I got nervous. Like I got cold feet towards the, you know, as I was kind of agreeing to do it. I said, I, I don't want to write a diet book. I'm not going to write a diet book. There's not going to be like a menu chapter in there or something like that, or like the 10 fun things you can do, you know, because it's just not like that. That's not how it works. You know, I'm, I want to talk about principles and how things, how the body works, but I don't want to. I'm not trying to sell a particular diet or an exercise program because I, I think that's it's not nonsense anyway. Yeah. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. And, um, and so I think, I think I succeeded. I think I didn't write a diet book. I think I succeeded in writing an anti-diet book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, that's what it know, looks none like. Of the, none, of the, none of the magic that you're sold actually works the way it's sold. Well, I mean, I, I do think that the placebo effect is absolutely incredible. And so, <laughs> and so, I mean, at the end of the day, I am all for people finding the placebo that works for them and keeps them driving forward in life. Yeah. But, but when, but when that placebo starts entering into your science and reality denial, that's when I start taking issue with, uh, with a bit of it. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so on on past podcasts just to give people a sense you're you're not uh you're you're not just selling some diet fad we 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 talked about kind of why humans stand upright and and you you're an evolutionary anthropologist and you talk about i, I imagine any of my listeners that have heard the show uh 
were captivated by hearing about, say, persistence hunting, which right. our ancestors chasing down some mammal in the mm -hmm. heat of the uh, middle of the day because we're these incredible distance hunters, because we can sweat and our, right. our lungs don't compress in certain ways when we run and we, we got all into that. And so that's, that's kind of um, a, a little bit of just quick broad strokes of what we've, what we've covered in the past. But in your class, I thought it was really cool the way that you can even, you could potentially find the teeth of a new species. Yeah get a sense of what its diet might have been. Mm -hmm. And then from that, even make, uh, uh, make inferences into uh, how territorial it might have been and m maybe even mating patterns and stuff. It, could, you, could you break down just a little bit? I remember hearing about the kind of vegetation uh, you know, ha not, oh, yeah. have, not having competition for veg vegetation. Yeah, yeah. well, th this is like a fundamental strategy question, a, a fundamental, uh, you know, trade-off that, that every species faces, right? Uh, and the question is always this, do you go for the stuff that's the food that's easy to get and ubiquitous and you can't, you know, like leaves, like there's, you know, you go out into a forest and it's full of leaves. Do you, eat, do you eat leaves, which there's tons of them, you have to fight over it, or do you eat fruit? You know, there's not much fruit or even worse, you try to go after animals, which are even harder to find. Right. And so as you kind of move across the food spectrum, there's this, uh, yeah, things like leaves or grass are, you know, the plants just make tons of them. They don't invest tons in them. So there's not a lot of energy in them because the plants themselves aren't investing tons in these structures. And they know that they're kind of, you know, uh, they're going to degrade. And so do you, do you eat those structures or do you go through the stuff that the plant really puts a lot of energy into and there's, all, there's obviously going to be less of that, right? And so if you know, for example, if we look at primates, um, the primates that are eating leaves, right? They've made that decision, right? That's, that's their strategy. And you have leaf-eating monkeys and, you know, the colobus monkeys are part of that group. You have howler monkeys down in South America that are leaf-eating monkeys. They're not that territorial because why would you bother, right? Why would you bother trying to keep another set of monkeys out of your leaves? Because who the hell cares? Just go over and find other leaves. Right. Mm. And then other, but, and, and we should say that, that the kind of teeth that you tend to see evolving in species that specialize in leaves have these, the crests, you know, if you run your, your tongue around your teeth, you feel those bumps in a, a primate that eats leaves, you feel those bumps are kind of like, they're, they're like blade, like, right. They're not like bumps. Mm. They're more like a blade. And that's because leaves are actually kind of tough. And so you want to slice them up rather than try to crunch them up. And so that's, that's leaf-eating monkeys or leaf-eating primates. You see those, those, those slicing blade-like uh, teeth. In a monkey that eats fruit or an ape that eats fruit, like all of our ape relatives eat fruit. Uh, well, sorry, gorillas eat a lot of leaves, but chimps and, and bonobos eat a lot of fruit, orangutans eat a lot of fruit. Their teeth are shaped for fruit. Now they're eating, because they're eating fruit, they're really territorial because now, right, uh, at any given time of the year in a, in a rainforest, there isn't fruit everywhere. There's fruit in a couple of places. And if you don't protect that fig tree, right? You don't protect that droop tree. Uh, it's too bad, too bad for you. You lose out, right? And so 
uh, you see territoriality and you see um, sort of specialization on that. And that changes how you're social, because if you want to be territorial, it helps to have a group that you, right? So all these things connect. And that's one of the really fun things about teaching that class or just about the work that I get to do anyhow, looking at human evolution and primate evolution is uh, making all those connections, you know, because um, there's really only one thing that our bodies are built to do and that's reproduce, right? I mean, that evolved to do. And everything is this big integrated circuit to make that happen. And so you can pick any one piece and if you know how to do it, you pull it out and everything else comes out with it. Like, you know, like the thread of a sweater, you can figure it all out. I'm just taking notes on my new dirty talk in the, in the bedroom. I was, (laughs) (laughs) this is 3.5 billion years of evolution. This is. Yeah, that's right. What's happening. Yeah, that's right. Look, we, you know, don't fight it. You can't fight it. Can't fight evolution. Right. (laughs) Um, So there's, uh, there's other, in that same way. And we've kind of talked about, um, a bit of when humans kind of started uh, standing upright and mm-hmm. the cost benefits of that. And uh, it, I, I think, I think this is in your class as well, where, where you're talking about, you could, you could look at kind of the, the wear on a, on a femur bone and where it's like connecting with the hip. Ah, uh, yeah. So and, that's not where, right. So yeah, not the wear of it, but to figure out the posture of animals, you can figure, you can look at their bones. And so it's not really the wear of it exactly. Although, so one thing is interesting. If you, um, some postures that really stress your joints at like the limits of, of their range will end up sometimes making like divots in the bones. So like if people who squat, who spend a lot of their lives squatting, um, you have to really flex your, your ankles up really, you know, up, up against your shins, your feet come up against your shins. And so that leaves a little divot in your ankle and your talus and your uh, tibia. So you can, sorry, in your tibia, actually, where it hits your talus. Anyway, so you can sometimes see that. So sometimes it is kind of a wear thing. But we were talking about with that, with the upright walking, and the more common the way that we look at bones in, in this way is that, uh, so bone is a responsive material, right? The bone that you have and the thickness of the bone and the robustness that it has, you know, your genetics are a big part of it, obviously. The overall shape of the bone is determined by your genes, but how thick the bone grows, how strong it grows, and in different parts of the bone, how strong it grows depends entirely on how it gets um, pushed around, the forces that act on the bone over your life. It's called Wolf's Law. This guy in the 1800s figured it out. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a very particular way you can imagine that, you know, the, the set of forces that come down through your pelvis and into your femur, the, your thigh bone, they're very different if you're walking on two legs and you're supporting all your weight on, on your two hind legs all the time than if you're on four legs, right? Like a dog or a cat or a chimpanzee for that matter. And so um, that very particular distribution of forces down through the pelvis and the hip joint and into the femur that leaves us a signature um, stress regime. And that leaves a very signature set of, of thicknesses along. You can kind of map the thickness of the bone because your bones are like tubes, right? I don't know if people, if everybody knows that, but your bones are like tubes. And so the wall of the tube uh, reflects how, you know, how much bone has been built up there in response to that stress. And so if you map the thickness of the tube of the, of the bone, as you go from the hip joint down, you can actually see uh, you know, that we are adapted to a particular set of stresses for walking upright. And then once you know that, 
you know, now you can go into the fossil record and you find like just a chunk of femur and you're like, well, how could you tell anything from that? Well, the answer is because we know how it all works. So we can, mm -hmm. we can now map the thickness in that bone, that little chunk of bone and go, that thing walked upright. Sure. But it has to be. Yeah. And so you have, uh, uh, you, you also, how do I want to say this? Uh, there, there's, there's this, I love talking about the, the modern mismatches with our, oh, yeah. uh -huh. uh, of course, with the, 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 the world that we were built in and kind of for, I'll put that in quotation marks, yeah. not to say that one way is better than another, whatever, but, but something that, uh, th that was a regular part of our environment through much of our evolutionary history. And then, uh, human's ability to cooperate and make new technologies and tool use and reshape instead of everything else slowly evolving over over hundreds of thousands millions of years right. to shape themselves into the environment and carve out this niche we could just like oh, i'm just gonna build this here the way that i want it to be yeah. and yeah and you can't always foresee the um, things like, oh, the our brain hasn't evolved to be in a cylinder um, uh, that's that's flying uh, through the uh, on the ground at uh, ro rolling on the ground at seventy miles an hour, and now when I'm sitting here reading a book, I'm getting car sickness because right by brain doesn't know what to do with this weird mismatch and thinks maybe i ate something poisonous and yeah. this is something you you you're you're not going to think about when you're engineering these new technologies and stuff yeah. necessarily and yeah, now yeah, we've yeah. constructed this entire modern world built on built on these uh these new uh all all of this We've kind of ripped apart the scaffolding and built this new modern environment that we're, yeah. we're now dependent on on a lot of ways and is kind of mismatched with our, with our uh, evolved bodies and metabolism. And you can look for clues. Uh, you can use science to kind of make inferences into solving the mystery of uh, reverse engineering. Okay, how, wait. How many calories are we actually supposed to be taking yeah. in? How much fat are we yeah. actually supposed yeah. to be taking in? But you also go and uh, you you've been an anthropologist working with hunter gatherer uh, uh, ish people. Yeah. Uh, as as are, I mean, are they still predominantly hunter gatherers? Or, or? Yeah. So the, you're talking about the work that we've done with the Hadza group in northern yeah. Tanzania, Hadza population. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of them still do hunt and gather. They're not a big population, you know, 1,500 people or something like that. Um, some of them have kind of moved into the towns or moved, you know, they kind of moved away from the, the bush camps. Um, but a lot of them still do hunt and gather. That's how they get, you know, 90-some percent of their food. Uh, occasionally, the government will drop off a, a sack of beans or something like that in the next village over, and they'll walk a day out and get their sack of beans and bring it back to camp, and that'll last a few days. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but that's, that's, that's marginal. And then the rest of it's all wild game. So wild plants. So yeah, they're still hunting and gathering. Um, not everybody, but, but a lot of them are, but yeah. So it, it's interesting to kind of think about it that way. You know, it's the analogy that comes to mind as you're describing it, I think is probably fits pretty well as, you know, in, in the industrialized world, we're like, you know, 
you know, like the, like kids from rich families that grew up with everything they ever wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't in that kind of a family, Me either. but I had, I had friends or they, they weren't always friends that, that, that did grow up in those kinds of families, you know, and they're the ones that like, yeah, like in elementary school, it seemed like they had it made, you know, in middle school, you're like, God, that's pretty great. But by high school, you're like, something's not right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if you're supposed to have a Porsche when you're 16. And then, you know, by the time college rolls around, like they've got, uh, you know, drug addictions and everything else. Not everybody, but, you know, to paint with a broad brush, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to paint with a broad brush. Let's get these rich fucks. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is in, uh, in COVID, it's just there, there's something about, um, when the wealthy are confronted with global pandemics, that just makes them yearn for gallivanting. And that's, <laughs> that's just like when they need yeah. to be hopping in jets and right, having right. soirees and stuff. Just, yeah. Ah! I, I, um, yeah, I, 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 and, and that's not even, I, I have a, I, I, I have a, uh, kind of a wealthy family member who who uh, just married a rich dude basically and right. and uh, and that's like because when you're wealthy and you don't do anything for work you just throw you just host you're just a host that's like your full-time job that you've yeah. given yourself if, that, and, if they're a host does that make everybody else parasites <laughs> yeah I think so <laughs> Bet MGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA, and there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. But, you know, if you're a rich person and you have all the stuff, like, you know, all the things that they want, are the things any of us would want, right? They yeah. want more. They want, you know, they want yeah. uh, a nice place to live. They, you know, they want good food and they want all these things. And you're like, the wanting is not the wrong thing. The having it all, that's what gets you into trouble. Yeah. You know? And it's like the hunter gatherers I work with and other, you know, go to just about anywhere on the globe outside of the rich countries. And the, the things that people want are the things that we all want. They want good food and they want, you know, a safe place to live. And, but, um, and it's good to want those things and, and I hope they get it. But like now you're in this weird, in weird engineered world that we built ourselves that we don't have to, we don't just want it. We can just have it. Yeah. Right. And so we have all the rich foods that we have always wanted. Right. Cause like a million years ago, being really motivated to go out and get some fat and sugar. Hey, that's a really good motivation to have. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. And now we have that motivation, but not just the motivation, we can fulfill it every day. 
and now you yeah. get diabetes, right? So it's like the motivations all make sense. And now we're in this weird place where we are the rich kids that can have it all. Yeah. And that's where the trouble comes in, you know? But then yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I think that's, it's interesting that your, your own completely good, uh, well-founded, well-evolved motivations can get you into trouble if you actually get what you want. We're, we're all a bunch of broke rich kids, essentially, in our <laughs> modern uh, world. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone uh, uh, had some tweet. They, they compared uh, um, during, during everything with, uh, with Trump and COVID and everything. They, they were saying, uh, America looks like a third world country wearing a Gucci belt right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But there's basically in our in our hunter gather our hunter gatherer ancestors in all of the span of time there was probably rarely a situation where you came across a bush and it had like a strawberry that was just so gigantic yeah. and sweet and juicy that you had to be like. Oh, I better not. <laughs> I right. know that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no ice cream on the on the savanna, you know? <laughs> so so there there is no it, yeah, we're we're just kind of in in a modern what what was this very uh essential drive to keep you know you don't have a refrigerator you need to keep on mm -hmm. finding new new sources of of food and potentially new territory or whatever else comes along with it uh day in and day out uh year after year and all of the sudden this amazing impressive trait looks like this narcissistic bottomless pit of want uh yes. in a modern yeah <laughs> World. Yeah, we don't know when we're full, right? I mean, it's sort of like, well, uh, existentially, we don't know when we're full. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so what can you say about? Um, I, I remember in your class, kind of continuing on the sort of tooth conversation. Yeah. Um, right. you, were, you, I remember. Oh man, your slide game is off the hook i i know you know i i sat in in a few classes last semester and i i felt for everyone involved with having to teach remotely and everything yeah yeah yeah. but wow you got some great slide game it's oh, thanks, I, I, I even emailed you i was like can you hook me up with those slides um but it, you you had this terrific nice easy to understand uh pie chart about um kind of how much how much meat, vegetation, fruit, uh, uh, roots, whatever, et cetera, mm -hmm. that, uh, that our, uh, that our uh, ancestors would have, would have generally been consuming. This is yeah. a good point to point out that not all of our hunter-gatherer ancestors were persistence hunters, for example. Right. Some of them right. were Eskimos or you know, whatever yeah. else. And, and so, but, but just kind of generally speaking, can you break that? Uh, down. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, when you look, the, the Hadza are a good example of this, and I know them the best, so I'll talk about them. If you were to just calculate out like a, a rough average calories from meat and calories from everything else, and everything else includes a lot of honey, 
about 10 or 20% of their diet in a given day is probably honey and plant foods, berries and baobab fruits and, and tubers are a big thing. They eat a lot of wild tubers, root vegetables. If you were to break that down, you'd find it's about 50% animals and 50% honey and plants, right? Now that would be like your, your very rough average, but that would kind of miss the point because if you look day to day, that changes wildly depending on what they happen to find that day. And if you look even month to month or year to year, you see these big changes. So one thing I've been doing that when I work uh, with the Hadza, when I go there, I, I go inevitably with this guy, Brian Wood, who's a researcher at, at uh, UCLA now. Um, Brian's fantastic. And he's been working with the Hadza for decades. Um, and, you know, so he, he has a lot of long-term data on this. Uh, he always looks at food returns when we go there, we call. So when they come back to camp, when they go out and forage, the men and women go out and forage, they come back to camp, they know that if we're there, like, oh, those guys like to keep track of what we got. So we, <laughs> very nice. And they come by the research part of the camp and they let us weigh what they, the food they bring in. So we know what they're eating. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, we, have, we have data on this going back to the 1980s, even before Brian started working there. And it's, it's really variable. There's like, you know, there's, weeks and even months when they're eating like all meat there's weeks and months when they're eating all plants and so that rough average of 50 50 what i like about it is that it pisses everybody off because <laughs> if you are a vegan proponent sorry you know actually they eat a lot of meat and if you are a keto proponent then oh sorry they actually eat a lot of plants so that's nice everybody can get angry yeah um but it misses the point that the, the, the variation is kind of the point, you know, that's actually what you experience when you're there is variation. Mm. So do you have, uh, cause I haven't read your book because it's not in hard cover yet. And, uh, and I can't stare at a screen any more than I already, uh, am. And also I've been having more authors on recently. And so my listeners are just getting to hear the many excuses that I have for not reading ever. Well, you know what though? I don't want to cut you off, but let me just say this. At least you are admitting <laughs> not reading the book. <laughs> Well, I've, I've had several interviews now about the book, which I'm excited about. I love that there's interest in it, and um, and not to add, I will not name anybody. And some have read it, but so many clearly haven't. That is, it's it's comical. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to combine a couple thoughts into uh, kind of regarding diet, regarding if you do want to be a vegetarian or you are like well the ethical thing to do is to only eat meat all of the time because right, uh, right. Uh, or because <laughs> you're a keto person or whatever and this is going to be question one and they're going to combine together and then i'll just kind of let you have at it in whatever way you want but um are, are there things that that we can do to kind of a paleo-ish hack. Uh, th if, you, if you are going to yeah. be vegan, what you want to be aware of in the modern environment, things that the, our modern life can afford these new ways of living uh, w w in these new systems. And as I mentioned, paleo, I, I did CrossFit uh, however many years ago was my first kind of introduction, uh, introduction into exercising and taking better care of myself. And that's not what you want your introduction to <laughs> to be you it's, survived at least i That's survived good. it's intense it's impressive i worry that people would hurt themselves if they knew as little about exercise as i did but there was 
it was funny because I've always been to evolution, uh, into evolution, and especially in the last decade or so. Uh, and so going in and having it framed as, uh, here's what our ancestors did. And you know, the first day, be like, <laughs> we don't do curls in here because who lifts stuff up like that? Like, right. Everybody, all of the time, all of the time, <laughs> lifting things like that. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, this is just for superficial. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I pick things up. <laughs> like this it, meanwhile i'll tell you the way i've never picked a thing up is with an overhead squat why are right, you trying right. to convince me that somehow our ancestors were doing these bizarre you're moving your shoulders yeah. back in these strange ways and you were saying uh, uh, that was one if you could touch on that uh thing we glossed over of, of people that squat a lot have different oh, yeah. wear on their bones that's fascinating if you could mention that too but is this a bunch of baloney or is this a new modern way of kind of hacking the yeah look we would have been running marathons t chasing down um an antelope or something like that but now you just got to do these weird moves and you got to do a downward dog and it yeah. looks ridiculous but it right. gets you where you need right to. right yeah, well, I mean, that, when you go to a Hadza camp, my, my first question always is, where's the big tire that we're going to flip? <laughs> you know, I see the ropes, you know, that's the, I got that set up, but, you know, where's the tire? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they must look so, they just get done with persistence hunting, just four hours of just jogging after yeah, some yeah. beast, and then they get done and they get back and you got a treadmill set up that you're just... <laughs> jogging in one place it must be the most confusing thing yeah yeah totally no so i mean i so the question i think is the right one right and it's the how do you take the principles that you learn mm -hmm. and apply it right like you don't the, the idea here isn't that you are going to cosplay as a hunter gatherer right, right. I mean, people do that which i think is is its own it's weird something thing. Uh, <laughs> it's its own thing good for them um, i hope they're happy but uh you know the principles well, if they're are listening right now and offended they're not living the <laughs> the lifestyle yeah yeah i guess that's right um well yeah so the principles right so what are the principles so what the principles for diet would be if you're eating foods that could not have existed prior to engineering <laughs> then yeah that's that's probably not a great idea uh in terms of as a way to base your diet you know it brings up this important point which is that people say oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna eat vegan i'm gonna be healthy well you can because our supermarkets are full of all kinds of products that are you know super engineered and energy rich and they might even be vegan you can be a vegan and eat totally unhealthily right i mean mm. you could just you could just chug vegetable oil that's vegan, right? You can just eat salt by the cup. That's vegan. Um, so you can eat, you can be vegan and be unhealthy. You can be uh, you can eat and be unhealthy. You know what I mean? You could you could just go and buy like uh, bacon and just eat it raw, like that uh, only, and that would also not be great. Um, so there is uh, our weird engineered uh, supermarket foods. Uh, yeah, they allow us to 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 take what would be healthy principles, like I'm going to eat fruits and vegetables and just completely, you know, to fun house mirror them into this weird 
thing. Uh, so we actually here's a um, fruit and vegetable flavored, right? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a new piece exactly. of plastic. Yeah, I mean, where do you think sugar comes from? Sugar comes from fruit. Uh, the, but so the uh, the principles would be this, you know, and this is like not new stuff. Eat eat whole foods that your grandparents would recognize, you know, mm. if it has a long ingredients list and a mascot on the package and an ad campaign, <laughs> it's probably not the best for you, you know? Um, and so there's actually really cool work done by this guy named Kevin Hall at NIH, uh, which they do this cool study where they, you feed somebody uh, ultra processed foods only. That's all they get breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks. And they're like in, they are, in a meta, on a metabolic ward. So they can't leave the building. So you know what they're eating. They really are eating this food. Only ultra-processed foods for two weeks. And then you switch over and then you eat the unprocessed versions of those foods. So it's all matched, same amount of carbs, same amount of protein, same amount of fats. And, um, and when they're on the ultra-processed foods, they gain weight. Even in those two weeks, they gain weight. Wow. And in the unprocessed foods, they actually lose a little bit of weight. Um, and then, by the way, and they, they randomize it, they, they do it, you know, so if you start, some people start processed and go to unprocessed and some people start unprocessed and go to, so they do it, you know, they're smart about it. They do it in a balanced way. So that's not just an artifact of, of time. Um, and yeah, so we know that, you know, it isn't the carbs and it isn't the fats and it's not, it's the fact that ultra processed foods are quite literally designed by people in labs to make sure that you eat them. I mean, and guess what? It works because they're good at their jobs. Of yeah. Um, and so that the principle one would be that don't, you know, don't eat that stuff. And if you want to know beyond that, you could say like, well, more fiber is good because fiber makes you feel full on less. Uh, more protein is good because protein makes you feel full on less. But you, you, know, you could go high protein on a keto carnivore diet. You could go high fiber on a vegan diet. And both of those people are going to end up eating fewer calories and probably lose a little bit of weight and probably feel better. And, and then, the, but they'll still argue on Twitter about who's right. You know, mm -hmm. is it the meat based or the plant based? And you guys are idiots. And, and it's actually completed the same game they're playing just, you know, with different jerseys on. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's such a good quote. Yeah. Um, I, uh, one, I want to say, because you and I, I think, are roughly the same age, people should probably be thinking about what their great grandparents would have. Oh, been. you have young people. Are they? Do, you, do the youngs listen to this podcast? I, I don't think so. But just in case, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I think that they're thirty to fifty-year-old listeners okay. mostly. Yeah. Um, but I would say that um, I would say that um, that at, might be right. As, as as someone who has been uh, has been home, uh, having home cooked meals for the first, yeah, having gone out, seen the world, eaten all of the many delicacies the world has to offer, and then mm -hmm. came back to the Midwest, I've noticed that a lot of the kind of Midwest diets are, um, kind of what happened was there was a period of time. <coughs> where you know a couple generations ago where all of the sudden you could get a can of gravy or whatever and <laughs> and and you have uh you yeah. have seven kids and you can get this 
thing. That's kind of when it all first started. And then there's this population boom too, because you could, you could just get all of this canned processed stuff and dump it in and have this whole big casserole and stuff for, for pennies. And So I think you need to go one generation past (laughs) that as I think my grandparents are where the problems started uh, diet-wise. It's when they started kind of leaving the farms for the first time. Yeah, that might be right. And and that uh, being said, there's another thing that... So there's there's so much conspiracy stuff going on now more than ever. And it's like, well... Like you said, how come they don't mention vitamin D on the news? How come they don't mention yeah. my keto diet if they if they care about public health? It's like, oh, what world have you been living in where they don't talk about health everywhere, yeah. constantly, all of the time, yeah. and someone's peddling some new thing? Yeah. I think yeah. they mentioned it. Yeah, we get it. Diet and exercise. It's trying to figure out like the simple ones that actually work rather than the endless fads. Yeah. Um yeah. A- always. But within that, I I think that that people kind of think like, ooh, this is Coca-Cola plotting against our health. And it's just that they had a product people liked, and then there's I'm sure there's all sorts of cover-ups. I'm sure they're not marketing the idea of how bad it is for right. you but they're just satiating a, a desire for sweet uh taste yeah yeah although was- since you bring up coca-cola there's an interesting little uh wrinkle there which is that uh so coca-cola um they started something called the global energy balance network ever heard of them mm-hmm yeah, so they they uh, started this idea. So one of the things, so as background, one of the things that comes out of uh, my work, but other people's too, is that it's actually really hard to change your weight with exercise alone because your body does all these interesting adjustments. And so if you exercise more, your mm-hmm. body adjusts and doesn't spend as many calories on other stuff. And so that's a whole other thing we place we can go. Interesting, um, but. Because of those metabolic adjustments, it's really hard to lose weight with exercise. Those same metabolic adjustments make it really good for ex- to exercise because actually those adjustments are good for you, but they don't affect weight very much. Okay. Mm. So we've actually known this for decades, that exercise is, a, is, a ter- is not a good tool for, for weight loss. But if you're Coca-Cola, you don't want to hear that because the implication then is that it's diet mm. is the weight loss, is the weight management tool, right? Yeah. And you don't, and sugary beverages probably aren't going to be a big part of how you lose weight. And, and Coca-Cola doesn't want to hear that. And so they actually funded, they started a global energy balance network, no obvious connection to Coca-Cola, right? I mean, if you went through the fine print, you could find it, but basically no connection, no public connection to Coca-Cola. And they started funding researchers in the US and elsewhere uh, to, to, if they had a study that, that was going to look at exercise as a way to lose weight, they wanted that study funded because, you know, you'll find something and, and you'll publish it. And, and, they, and so they, it was right. a total. So I agree for the most part that these food companies aren't malicious, although there's some interesting examples. Oh, I of mean, I think, they, 
Yeah, of course. And I, and yeah. I think they can, they can be, uh, no, I, no, I think they're malicious in a lot of ways after the fact. I, th- I think that, I think that they didn't start out day one hashing no. on a board of like, here's how right. we get rid of the population. It was just yeah. once the money's coming in, you're like, okay, here's how we cover up that there's <laughs> the population is kind of uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> winning because of us. It, it's kind of, the way that I I've been thinking about this lately is imagine, and this isn't, I don't know anything about hummingbirds and I, for as far as I know, I think hummingbird feeders are actually kind of good for keeping the populations uh, uh, robust enough in a modern environment. That's where we're yeah. behaving over everything. But just, just for a thought experiment, imagine you, you put out a hummingbird feeder and all of a sudden this hummingbird that's evolved over millions of years to fly around for these tiny little bits of nectar everywhere and the, and the plants are, you're yeah. pollinating for the, you're not aware of any of this. You're just driven to go out and look for mm-hmm. the use to go up and slurp up this little bits of stuff. And there's never, there's never just this waterfall of nectar that happens in your life and all yeah. of yeah. All of a sudden, some uh, some uh, little old lady hangs up a hummingbird <laughs> so she can look at a hummingbird from time to time. And and my, this is you know this is everything you could have ever dreamed of. Yeah, right. Well, right. set up Absolutely. camp there. Then you get satiated over time, and then. Yeah. And then now you're not helping the plants pollinate. So now there's the environment's changing. There's desertification and, and all yeah. of a sudden, and now you're, you're not flying as much. So you're starting to get fat and, and, and you have, you're drinking way too much of this wonderful tasting stuff. And now you, you got to start thinking like, is this person plotting against me? They've ruined the environment. <laughs> Like, no, that's just a little lady that thought it would be neat yeah, and exactly. has no idea of the long-term implications of, of right, doing right, all right. of that. And I think that we kind of, humans are doing that to to ourselves over and over again. Yeah. And then yeah. after the fact, you go like, whoa, hey, you don't, you know, yeah. don't call the cops on me for putting up a hummingbird feeder. So you might like yeah, do right. things to manipulate stuff after yeah. the fact. Yeah. All my hummingbird feeders are full of just pure lard because I want my hummingbirds <laughs> to go keto. So little red, red food coloring you in the sun, you can get it to go liquid. Here's what I want to know. I want to know why um, screens are more compelling than real life. Mm. Right. My children, we just had a conversation about screen time. And, uh, you know, in, in the Pleistocene environment, there were no screens. And so why do they find it more captivating to, like, watch things happen on a screen than to talk to each other or mm. do something real? I mean, um, and I get it. I, I like I watch TV, too. I get it. But it's like, why is that? Is it just because you distill? Is it just distilled social interaction and distilled stuff that you know, real life takes too much time and it, it kind of like the pace, of, you know, if we have to talk to the director for real life because the pace is a little bit slow yeah. uh, or is it, I don't know. What it's, do you think? It's real life on steroids. And then it, and then it's, it's also our kind of hopes and dreams. And yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, it's these windows into, I mean, it, it was 
pretty rare in our modern environment that you could go sneak a peek at someone else banging or whatever else. Uh, but but also, but also there's there's uh, like David Attenborough stuff, for example. I love right. nature. I love thinking about evolution. I I love. You get this amazing shot of this flower and this bee pollinating it. Wow. I go outside and look at that. I'm like, I'm trying very hard to appreciate this in the <laughs> same way. But yeah. what, uh, what your eyes don't know is like, oh, they've used this telescopic lens like what what i what i'll do is i build out this studio i'll i'll move things forward i'm i'm pulling this back i'm i'm changing the angle so it looks like someone else behind a a camera you'll use a telescopic yeah. lens that will make me look really nice and the background will fade some i'll set up uh, the right kind of light to to soften all of these tones so that the shadows on my face look just so and you know so you can kind of instagram all of uh yeah and put these uh these filters on and uh yeah you kind of don't have a chance it's kind of like the mickey mouse phenomena the evolution of mickey mouse all oh, right yeah, 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 everything yeah, yeah. Over, over time and yeah yeah <laughs> It's scary uh, though, man, because like, what's the, what's the end game? What's the, um, I mean, I guess we sort of all have it. We have, you know, a, a, attentional diabetes, right. In the same way that like our diets make us sick. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not the first one to complain about screens. Uh, it's not a new critique, but like, you know, it's, it just changes fundamentally, like you say, how you can appreciate the real world. And that's, that's a scary thing. Cause, cause honestly, I, you know, COVID has made me live in this new zoom world. And I'm not a big fan. I got to say yeah you know? yeah so this is where we're going Jesus. well i think a lot of people uh i mean i think there's also a lot of like modern historical leftovers of kind of the industrial revolution and the drive to crank out all the widgets and then tvs popped up out of nowhere and it was this new novel thing yeah. but i also think people kind of get used to it over you know get like banner blindness over time mm. and mm -hmm. i mean yeah kids are gonna like tv more because kids have don't have nuanced taste in things and yeah <laughs> you know and yeah. i i think that i think people are missing out on you know you can like sit and think like i do it all of the time yeah sit, not right not read nothing i'll just sit and think for an hour sometimes hours at a time and people think you're crazy for doing it but it's uh being an active participant in the exploration of in your inner world rather than mm -hmm. passively watching it given to you on on tv so i i think people i think people will just need to you know it's just mindfulness and becoming more aware of oh you can't just drink coca-cola all the time and tv is the version you just can't put the coca-cola right. that is television in your eyes all right. the time too yeah well this is what i wanted to ask you this is so i'm using this kind of hummingbird example of bam out of nowhere 3.5 billion years of of evolution millions of years of beard of uh, bird evolution i'm looking at my own beard bird evolution uh, leading to this specific trait and then out of this 
bizarre abnormality that you weren't psychologically prepared for that seems like this terrific thing and now you're mad at this lady that forgot to feed it you go to look and bam you run into a window because you're evolved <laughs> environment you didn't evolve in an area with solid transparent walls yeah. and yeah. things otherwise yeah. you could have developed the eyesight to navigate it but you're you're not in your single lifetime you're not going to really evolve evolve the uh, abilities to pick up on those things so what are some simple things from your book because because the uh what's their name again the who who do hadza uh, uh, the hadza the hadza don't need to know about calories and that's stuff. right they don't need to know what the difference between saturated fat this other kind of fat or yeah yeah. So, you know, I mean, the reason I'm excited about working with the Hadza as an anthropologist is because, you know, they're, they're a modern population like you and me, of course, you know, like anybody on earth right now, they're modern, but because they have these hunter gatherer traditions, right. They kind of become this way of looking back and wondering what it would be like in time back, back in our ancestral condition. Uh, and so they're really cool that way as an anthropologist. But as from a public health point of view, they're really cool because, like I said, they don't get diabetes, they don't get heart disease, any of that stuff. And so um, all the stuff that are, is most likely to kill you and me, right, they're, they don't have to worry about it. They're not going to get it. And, well, they, and they don't even think about diet. They don't think about exercise. So something about just the way they live their life is protective against that. And right. So what are the principles? Well, like I say, you know, first of all, in terms of diet, um, eat whole foods that your great grandparents would recognize, you know, don't eat these weird process engineered foods. And then in terms of, of activity, um, you know, you got to be active every day. There's really kind of no cheat code on that one. You got to get active as much as you can. Um, you know, unless you are, unless you are an Olympic athlete that is training so hard that like, you know, yeah, your body starts shutting down, right? Overtraining syndrome. Unless you're that person, everybody else could exercise more and it'd probably be good for you, mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't have to be exercise. Like this is another thing that makes you crazy. In the same way that like the fad diets make you crazy. The, the fat, you know, CrossFit stuff, fantastic. If you love CrossFit, please go and do it more. It's good for you and if you do it safely and, and, that, and that's wonderful. But the idea that you have to exercise this way and not that way, just drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, just get out and move, man. Get out and move. And yeah. and that's and if you want to be Hadza about it, then you try to get like two hours of movement in a day. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't always achieve that. I don't usually achieve that, but I should, and we all should. And, and so that might be, you know, maybe that's a maybe a jog for half an hour, but then you, you still got an hour and a half left where you probably ought to get on your feet walking around the house at least, you know, walking to when you when you were allowed to again walk into a coffee shop kind of thing like just movements is good and you don't have to be you know religious about it in a particular kind of movement yes. kind of exercise just yes. just get out moving those are the principles eat real food and move you know yeah <laughs> uh and but there's the screen time and there's the there's the coca-cola and it makes it really hard but you know i have an experiment for you um, you, you take a, you, you got two islands. They have the same kind of food and whatever else they're, they're just like little, little slivers of, uh, America or something like that. They, they have everything that you could it, want in a modern society mm -hmm. and it, like 
So I'm, I'm going to give one of these wellness people, uh, say Toledo, Ohio and, or something. And I'm, I'm going to get Livonia, Michigan or so, yeah, something like that. And so one, you the, the leadership is we give people these like CrossFit pep talks every day and we inundate them with every new cutting edge fad that there is and these life hacks and some of them are great and some of them are going to work really well and and there's a variety so you can find the one that works for you and everything else yeah and and then i have uh, and, but then in in my city of uh, livonia i'm just going to give people smaller plate size that's it just a smaller <laughs> smaller plate size yeah not not have to uh, figure out all of the many complicated other things and I'll put money on my city. Uh, that That's not, you know, that's not including the exercise portion of it, just kind of nutrition. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. I mean, you know, one of the things um, that my, my publisher was really excited about when I wrote this book, I was like, well, you know, she's like, well, what do you think about in terms is a calorie, just a calorie? And I'm like, you're talking to a metabolic researcher. Yes, by definition. That's like asking, you know, is a shoe a shoe? <laughs> is a brick a brick? Yeah. Right. Um, is a cal- of course it is. And so all these diets just work by when they work. They work because you cut calories. So if you can, you know, wave a magic wand and, and every plate in Livonia, Michigan gets smaller, right? Yeah. And we, we know it'll happen. Um, obesity levels will go down. People's resting blood sugars will get better. Yeah, you know everything. People won't get as much diabetes as often or heart disease as often. You would you would save lives absolutely and make people. I, I know because I've traveled around the world and I've looked at plate sizes and portion yeah. sizes yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's just a huge, huge difference. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so I lived in, in the Midwest for a while. My first job out of grad school was at WashU in St. Louis, and we were there for four years, and it. You know, so I went from Boston, which is very like waspy, uh, you know, New England, um, that ethic, the Protestant ethic, you know, you're not supposed to have too much fun. That's dangerous to, um, to St. Louis. And the difference in cuisine was just staggering, you know, because you'd order a salad in St. Louis and it was like full of cheese and processed meat, mm-hmm. you know? Um, even at like the fancy restaurants were like that. And it's just telling the like, oh, that's, yeah, if that's your idea of like a low calorie meal, then no wonder, you know, you have these sort of regional differences. And there's plenty, there's plenty of people with, who suffer, who, who, who uh, suffer cardiometabolic disease and, and get overweight in New England as well. It isn't that regional, but, you know, you right. can understand why you see these sort of population differences because, what people think of as healthy even sometimes is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It sure is. Uh, I've, yeah. <laughs> the Midwest is a trip. Um, I, I what, what do you, as you're kind of, we brought up TVs and I've been thinking about this in terms of the diets and stuff because I, I absolutely love that. Uh, it, the, the point about, the point about, making something really dogmatic. I have yeah. such, I just hate 
I have an anti-dogma dogma that I live by and, uh, and is, and don't argue with me on it. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and it's uh, the idea that, you know, what happens is someone does dial into specifically what works for them. Mm-hmm. You have a, uh, Jacko Willink, who who is uh, like, I'm gonna take my picture of my watch of Instagram. At, uh, I wake up at four o'clock every morning, and I get after it. And life is full of challenge obstacles. You got to headbutt through, and and <laughs> oh, another another wall to break through. Good, it'll just yeah. make my head stronger as I smash through. And the thing is, is like, it works great for him. Because he's like, you know, he had a slightly abusive childhood. He had a certain genetic makeup. He had military training. Right. He became a Navy SEAL. He has a different relationship with pain. He has <laughs> all these, these different things that have driven him yeah. in life. Worked yeah. out well in a lot of facets. And then you know, he goes, look at my jawline. And, and people go whoa, you have this Mickey Mouse phenomenon all of a sudden where people are like, jeez, wow, how do you, how's that happen? And you have some insecure young man looking at mm-hmm. this, trying to figure himself out. And I was like, okay, I guess I, I better get in the Tough Mudder competition. And I, right. and, and right. like, do the Tough Mudder competition if you think that's the thing that like you're going to uh, get the motivation to continue to pursue and exactly. do if it's going to just be torture in the wrong way that doesn't that just makes you lay in bed and cry and not actually do the tough mutter competition <laughs> and just think about the yeah. tough mutter competition then find something else yeah worry exactly about yeah yeah i mean if you're miserable stop you know? <laughs> i think that's like another good i didn't write that in the book shit uh if you're miserable stop oh man <laughs> i've been thinking about that with sleep uh, maybe do you have anything to say about sleep because uh, what are what were our hunter gatherers i'm a huge napvocate mm. and i sometimes felt you know, a Midwestern upbringing, you wake up at six in the morning and you work for 12 hours a day and, yeah. and that's how you get ahead in life. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I mean, I think it does work in a lot of manual labor kind of jobs quite well, but mm-hmm. when, when you're in thought work, it doesn't, it's not the same naps. No, I hear you. Perfect. I, so the hods and naps sometimes other populations nap sometimes it's like not I mean, that's another refreshing thing about living with the Hadza when we do the work is like, they're not dogmatic about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of don't give a shit about, yeah, there's no like, it's a very live and let live kind of thing. And if you can squeeze a nap into your day, good mm-hmm. for you. You know, uh, they sleep about as much as we sleep. We've actually measured that with the Hadza and other populations too. So it's not just them, other small scale groups, you know, seven to eight hours a day. And there was this idea that went around for a while that, 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 you know, humans are supposed to sleep for much longer than that, but that we don't because of lights and TV and modern pressures and all this stuff. Turns out that's not true. Humans around the globe, even in different, you know, very different situations, lifestyles, all sleep about the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, naps. Naps are, you know, my wife swears by naps. I can't do it. 
Yeah, for whatever reason. Can. Uh, I can, I mean, I can fall asleep at two in the afternoon, but then if you wake me up before the next day, <laughs> I just feel <laughs> gross. Like yeah. I'm, you know, and, and I think, um, it's some kind of failing in my upbringing. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to nap properly or something. I never learned how, uh, whereas Janice, man, my wife, she's like, goes to sleep and I'm like, holy shit. She just woke up at like 20 minutes later, half hour later, just on her own accord. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I set an alarm and it almost never goes off and I'm uh, completely refreshed. I usually have come up with a good idea uh, of a thing I was grinding away on. It's incredible. The other thing is, is I get I get grump. I'll stay up at night. And I'm like, why am I so miserable at night? I, oh, I'm just I just have the TV on and I'm like grinding out emails or whatever and just go to bed, dude. Why are you talking? Yeah. You're telling yourself this story that uh, that nothing in life is worth doing. But you've just been saying that for the last hour. Don't you think maybe you just need to go to sleep? And then I go to sleep and yeah. I wake up the next morning like, oh, my gosh, I just needed to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> That's a big thing. I, You know, I, so... Yeah. I mean, this is a whole issue. Like how hard should one work? Right. That's a big question. Um, the, uh, I don't know if there's like a nice evolved answer for that. I think, you know, what, what feels natural is probably a pretty good cue to what, what is natural, but you know, like in grad school, for example, man. So grad school is like this cauldron that all PhDs go through and it's different for some people and better for others. And, but it's all like it's one of these paying your due, and it, all professions have this this kind of like paying your dues portion of of your of your professional trajectory, right? Yeah. So grad school is paying your dues, and I remember, um, you know, and I got caught up in it totally. Oh, if you're not working Saturdays and Sundays, are you even do you even care? Are you even showing up? You know, if you're not working till three in the morning and then waking up at at seven, you know, are you even trying? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it becomes, and like, you think, well, how did that really develop? Cause it wasn't really your, my, your advisors telling you that and what you realize is that, oh, it's because I got to school in the morning and this person who is insecure about how much they're doing, wanted to talk about how they were up all night doing it. Cause they wanted to feel good. And maybe, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it's just insecurity talking about, I, I'm working really hard. I'm working really hard. And then you think, mm-hmm. oh, I guess that's how that's supposed to go. So you start working really hard. And then pretty soon there's like zero bandwidth for anything else. You were just doing 90 hours a week of your job. And, you know, you know why you did that Herman, because everyone was lying to you about how much they were working and you believed them. (laughs) I know, I know I, what an idiot. And, uh, and I was probably lying to, I was probably rounding up too. I'm sure I was. And then, you know, here's the thing. I married somebody. Oh, I got involved with, and then eventually married somebody who's not in my profession. And she's an architect. So they had their own like, like paying your dues stuff going on. But because we didn't have the same, you know, because it was kind of this, not, not the same culture, we could hear each other saying the things and being like, that sounds stupid. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and we were like, oh, wait, let's, let's have a life where like we get, we take breaks from what we're doing. And what you realize is, oh my God, for me anyway, that was like the magic because I'm way more productive if I don't try to, do 80 hours who the hell can do 80 hours a week anything yeah you know and so so much more productive by just being by having by like keeping my weekends for not work stuff as much as i can keep my night times for not work i mean sometimes it is but you know to try to keep it 
and, and really try to work when you're supposed to be working and, and give yourself breaks. Otherwise, I think, especially in a, in an, you know, intellectual thought based career. Yeah. You just, you got to let the, you got to let the well fill back up before you start taking more out. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's not like my brain would turn off at five o'clock anyway. If I did, if I did clock out, you know, yeah. it's, I, I, I get, I get more done um, working 20, 30 minutes at a time from the time I wake up until night, taking as many breaks as I want, eating, exercising yep. anytime that I want. I usually working is usually the first thing that I do. Uh, and uh, when I wake up and it's usually the last thing that I do, um, before mm -hmm. bed, but it's, it's casual all, all yeah. through the day. And, uh, I mean, you know, find the thing that works for you. But anyway, I, I, the last couple little things, um, you had mentioned the, the, um, uh, gosh, what's their name again? Let me write it down. Hadza. Hadza. There are big letters. Um, uh, I remember, so you'd mentioned them being kind of uh, uh, live and let live. I remember that from your class, you were talking about um, kind of gender roles and stuff and mm. how, how males or females, they didn't tell one another what to do. People could kind of make a case for their perspective, but no one, there right. wasn't a, well, the men are in charge around here, so we let them make the decisions. Yeah, none of that. There's none of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's very, uh, progressive, which is hilarious because as far as we can tell and not just the Hadza, but other hunter gatherer groups too, that actually that was probably the norm. Uh, it's only when you get to agriculture and you can control a land and I, and, and not only do I own this particular plot of land, which is a kind of a weird idea, mm -hmm. but, um, but I can pass it on to, you know, to my offspring. And then we can kind of keep that in the male line and you get this sort of weird asymmetries and in, in wealth inequalities building up. And so really it, it seems like it's, it's agriculture and domesticated animals that, that become this intergenerational wealth that you can transfer down where you get the strange, you know, hierarchies building up and often it's a male based hierarchy. And, but yeah, hunter gatherers, man, they, they are, they, they don't, they don't, they don't ascribe to that for the most part. The Hadza certainly don't. And it's, um, well, it, it's awesome because everybody just kind of does their own thing. And, and uh, you know, the, like you say, there are people who, who just because they're cool people and, and successful at being good hunter-gatherers, you know, and, and they, they earn the respective people. And so, yeah, they carry a little, their, their word carries more weight. You know, it's a natural sort of phenomenon, but they can't tell anybody what to do. Mm -hmm. um, it actually, to their detriment these days, because now... You have the Hadza population within Tanzania and, you know, the Tanzanian government is trying to figure out how to run the whole country and, you know, how do we allocate land and space and rights and um, who, you know, so it would be nice if somebody could speak for the Hadza, right, in these governmental, higher level government things, go to Dar es Salaam or the regional offices and, and talk at that level. Mm -hmm. Hard to do because there's no, there's nobody there. But, you know, that, that's another thing that when, um, when Europeans came to North America and they, the Europeans came out of a very hierarchical, you know, a king, a monarchy based system, they came to these uh, North American tribes and said, yeah, tell me who the leader, tell, I want to talk to the king. 
you know, and as often as not, I mean, there's a very, there's lots of different tribes in the U S and in the native, sorry, in North America and lots of, um, you know, lots of variation in, in cultural diversity there too. But as often as not, there was no clear person to be in charge, right? There's so who do you, I don't know. Who do you talk to? I talked to, talk to Bob. I don't know, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. people were making weird decisions and sort of poor decisions because there was just not a mismatch between uh, the way that they ran their, their political worlds. Um, tying, tying some of this together with the, uh, you know, you got a fruit tree and those primates are going to be a little more yeah. territorial, a little more aggressive. Do you think that, uh, I, I mean, uh, just, just seeing the, I, I remember one of your wonderful little crafts, all the different arrows of, of uh, humans spreading over time. Yeah. And humans just had this, uh, we could venture off into all land and every which direction and mm-hmm. go just like, hey, let's just go run a bunch of woolly mammoth off a cliff and there there's more food than we could ever eat and and not that it was always that easy but you could just you could just keep on expanding until you couldn't until until or or you put the constraints on yourself where it's like well now i have the stockpile so i need to stay here and now you have a valuable stockpile that maybe maybe there's people that uh that might want to uh take that from you and uh and do you think that it's possible that that um, some of our modern li- because we often think aggression is this this primitive thing that we us classy people need to uh, need to get over? But is, is it possible that that the the way in which we're accumulating resources and and have have the kind of new modern property rights and mm-hmm. have ran out of world to expand into. Um, and not everyone can have their own skyscraper, et cetera. Is it possible that that's made some aspects of modern humanity kind of more ter- territorial, more uh, aggressive, more warlike than, than some, not all just, it just didn't, you know, the, yeah. I don't even know if I'm painting with a broad brush here. I'm saying in, in certain instances. Yeah. Um, well, so here's how I would frame it. I would say that, you know, humans have been hunting and gathering for two and a half million years since before we were homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the key part of that we talked about before, you know, women and men kind of do their own thing. You have this gender division of labor in most hunting and gathering groups. And regardless of, of who's doing which jobs, it's, you know, it's hunting and gathering. You have the and in there. That's the critical piece. You know, mm-hmm. people want to focus on the hunting and the gathering. It's the and that's so weird, mm-hmm. right? What other species has, okay, here's, okay, guys, you, you half of the people do this and you have the people do that. And at the end of the day, we're going to all share it together. Mm-hmm. There's no other species that does that. That is insane, right? And that's hunting and gathering. And that's what we've been doing for 2 million years. So somehow that got started and took off and was hugely successful because of this really balanced portfolio kind of way to make a living, right? You can never kind of go too wrong because you kind of got two bets going all at the same time. But it only works if you share, right? Mm -hmm. So the and is the critical piece there. So what happens? You get this uh, species that has become incredibly pro-social, right? And if you are in my group, um, I will share with you and you don't even like little 
kids will do this. You don't have to be taught to do this. You will be pro-social and share. And, um, and we're like, we're possibly one of the few examples of a, of a group selected species actually, where, you know, we're actually pro so pro-social that we don't even worry about who's kin and who's related genetically. We just share within our group. That's the way that our brains are, are wired. Uh, that's one pretty strong theory about how things evolved in humans over the last couple million years. Okay. The other side of that is you can't just share with everybody. You share with your group, mm-hmm. right? So if you're in group, if you're my tribe, you're my group, then you're literally, my brain literally works with you the same way that it would work with family, right? Those mm-hmm. same mechanisms are, are, in, are activated. If you're not my group, then you might not even be human, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was probably always cooking and simmering. And that's one of the reasons that you have the success of hunting and gathering, because you have these really successful groups that do so well and expand and have lots of babies and get all over the world. And um, then, okay, then you start running out of real estate and the groups start bumping up against each other. And the ones that do a better job sharing in and not sharing out Mm-hmm. do better and better. And then this, you know, and then you have industrialization and the stakes get higher because now we're not just going to go and, you know, run into your village and, and beat you up or maybe stab you with it. We're going to bomb you. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, then things get really, really bad really quickly. But I think, you know, the, I don't think that the, the fundamental argument about, Oh, you're, you're us, you're in group, your family versus, you know, you're them. And, we don't like you. And, and we, you know, you, you see all this demonization happening uh, to others, whoever the other is right right now. The other is China um, early in oh, the Trump presidency. The other was of others. <laughs> yeah. The long list of others, right. Muslims. If you're, you know, yeah. Trump in Trump's America, the others were Muslims. There's a Muslim ban. Um, yeah. People coming from South and Central America and Mexico, they were the others. They had to build a wall. Right. So you see mm-hmm. this kind of talk happening and it's, it's like, you could be two million, two million years ago. This could, t- this would, would make sense to people. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think the stakes get higher because there isn't any more land to go to. And because the tools that we have to stick the other guy are so much more nasty. Right. I mean, we've just built these incredibly potent, you know, economic and war devices to sort of make, to, to, to hurt the out group and keep the in group safe. And um, yeah, so that, that, you know, that's why it's so important that we, that we watch the language we use when we talk about others. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why it's, it's so meaningful because, you know, it's, it, people are always, oh, it's all politically correct to call it like it is. And I'm going to say it like it is. And those, you know, the, that group is just terrible people. And you won't say that because you, you're too politically correct. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, if you start demonizing and dehumanizing people, you've actually sent into motion this whole psychology that allows you, it makes it okay to do these horrible things. And so actually the language totally matters. Yeah. And you, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, uh, I mean, as a stand-up comedian, I, I've 
seen comics do that. Buckle your seatbelts. It's always like, <laughs> I mean, if you want to have a who can alienate the most people competition, I promise you, I I can win every award. The, like yeah. like four, you need to measure by the amount of laughs had, but also people walked at the same time. No problem. I got uh, like you know abortion jokes or whatever. Else. No, right. But it's all it's always it's easy to push people's buttons if you set out to do that but it's always people that like that uh, that uh that there's a lot of build-up like whoa what i have to say is so dangerous it's always just like the kind of dumb stuff that you heard uh uh, playground bullies uh say you know it's never it's never terribly nuanced or or interesting (laughs) and then they always suppose that they're speaking for everybody too like you said like well everyone thinks this like no actually yeah right right (laughs) i don't yeah it'd be be fun to sort of think about comedy as uh you know which percentage of jokes are in group versus out group like i think about the the jokes about the everyday stuff and i you know i don't know you know like the like i've I don't know if this is even a reasonable reference, but like the Jerry Seinfeld humor in my mind, it's like observational. This is my, you know, and you, we can all relate to this because isn't this this funny thing that I'm just going to talk about in a funny way. And we all relate to this versus like, you know, telling jokes about the other group. Yeah. Like, yeah. You ever notice those people? What about those people? Do you ever notice, you know, and like, it's so, and so it's like, it's in, in group versus out group humor. You probably yeah. draw a bright line between people's, uh, what people get their laughs out of yeah yeah um there's a there's a lot of like this guy's shirt looks stupid in the front row and people are like i love it when you make fun of people in front of the crowd people love crap like that yeah. um it's, it's uh that's and which is why i've started doing my own shows that are curated to a different demographic right <laughs> demographic right, right. of people that aren't just being fleeced for overpriced drinks but um i i uh, man uh, yeah. Anyway, I gosh, I could talk all because I wanted to say in group thing. There's like tension too with say family, for instance, where you have this this uh, you know you do share genes or you do have people that are in your church or a part of your town or whatever that kind of they do kind of represent you in certain out groups. But you're like, yeah. hey, that doesn't you know that it, it's almost like uh, it, you know how there's phantom limbs and then where you have this mind map and you your arm gets cut off but in your in your yeah right neurologically you still, you still have yeah, yeah, yeah. arm and then there's the opposite where where you have like the the part of your brain doesn't have that and so you're you have your left arms like out of control and and moving about and sometimes like members of in group or or uh, relatives or whatever can feel like that. Like, hey, I know this arm looks a lot like me. it looks a lot like the other one. I'm telling you, I have no control over this. Thing. That's right. It's, it's That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't represent who I am. Yes, it's attached to <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, oh, but um, well, anyway, Herman, I, I just want to thank you for for sharing uh, with everybody and congratulations on the new book, Burn. Yeah. Uh, 
all of oh. my listeners will check it out and check you out on Twitter and Instagram. What are your Twitter and Instagram handles? Uh, they're both. I think I'm at Herman Ponser at both. Or maybe I'm H Ponser on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm more of a Twitterer. Yeah. I'm trying to get over into Instagram more, but I, I'm, I'm a lot more active on Twitter. Well, it's a good place for academics. You share a lot of cool research and stuff and yeah. latest yeah. findings of retweeting other people and, and, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. I saw you getting like a metabolism dispute uh, not too long <laughs> ago. And uh, oh, man, I was there for it. Yes! <laughs> I love science. Oh, there's just, you know, you could spend a, you could spend a career just being angry online. So I try not to do that too much, but it yeah. is fun sometimes. Sometimes I indulge. Yeah, I indulge a little <laughs> bit. You may have noticed I indulge from time yeah. to time. Yeah. Uh, all right, Herman, you're awesome. Thank you so much for joining me again. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>